Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you give. While you're, uh, while you're giving right now, as they're passing those baskets, uh, you, you guys are good at multitasking, right? Yeah, all right, or at least you act like you are. Uh, what I'd love for you to do is go ahead and get your uh, notes out, and you have a Bible, get your Bible out or a Bible app. It's time for us to, we're going to jump right into God's Word today, and uh, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews 2, 10. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's way back there near the end of the Bible. Hebrews 2, 10. I, uh, as you're turning there, I want to take, kind of take you back in time to a little story that I think some of you have heard about, the story of Adam and Eve. You guys know that story, right? They, they, they were existing in this state of utter perfection in the Garden of Eden. And God created this world for them to live in. It was intended for all of us to live in. It was a world without shame. That's actually what he created. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 says that Adam and Eve had experienced and they felt no shame. They had never experienced it. And so, I mean, can you, I want you to just think about that. Can you imagine living a life where shame is non-existent? Actually, that's what life was like until sin entered in. In fact, that's, a, that's what life is going to be like in eternity as well. But, but when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened was when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, shame was launched into this world. And then Adam and Eve, what they did is they retreated and they tried to hide from God because they were now ashamed and they were afraid of God. See, see what Satan did is Satan introduced shame that day and it's been haunting every one of us ever since. And it's a struggle that we deal with, and we deal with regularly. So the title of my message today, write this down, is Shattering Shame. And you find your place in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. When we hit those scriptures, I encourage you to stay there. Because a little later in the message, we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures in the, in the book of Hebrews as well. Now you see, Adam and Eve, they didn't hide from God as I was examining this. They didn't hide from God because they had sinned. I've always thought that, but even as I was reading it and researching it, no, they didn't hide from God because they had sinned. They hid from God because when they sinned, their innocence disappeared. They saw themselves different. They saw each other different. See, Adam and Eve, they were naked, but there was no shame attached to it originally. Now, why is that the case? Well, it's because of this. The filter through which they viewed themselves and everyone around them in the world. They, they viewed everything through this filter of innocence, which was what God desired for all of us. But then sin, it is dangerous. It is, it is deadly. So what sin did is sin removed that filter of innocence. And now, immediately, they became critical of themselves. They became self-conscious and critical of each other. Shame had now taken over. And, and, uh, and, and as I was looking at it, I, I saw the responses to this. The responses to the shame was twofold. For, first of all, what they did is they retreated from God. They, they hid from God. And the second thing they did is they started attacking each other, pointing out the sin and the flaws in each other. 
(laughs) Shame still causes us to do the same thing today. But there's a remedy for shame, and it's called Jesus. Jesus. You see, God was going to make sure that Satan didn't have the last word by bringing sin and shame into the world. See, what God then did is God gave us Jesus, which we also know even as the second Adam, so that we could be free from sin and we could have shame shattered in our lives. Now I want you to look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Tell me, tell you a little bit about Hebrews. It's, a little, it's, a, it's an interesting book in the New Testament. It's written to Jewish people. That's why it's called Hebrews. Um, it, it's written to the Hebrew people, and, and it helps them to understand some of the connections between the, their Jewish faith and, and what Jesus Christ really was for us. And, and uh, unless you're Jewish, you, you may not understand every single little thing in there, but it is so rich. I'm telling you, Hebrews is really, really rich. Now, I want you to look, though, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, and we're, we're going to pick this up here. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, sons and daughters being brought to glory, that's us, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Verse 11, but the one who makes people holy, we sang about that a minute ago, God, he's the one who makes us holy also, and those who are made holy, that's us, we are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Wow. Okay. Now, stare at there in, in Hebrews. Now, note in the context, it said they're bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Now, what that means is God wants to bring to himself as many people as possible, and he sees us as family when that happens, okay? And God did this through his son Jesus and his suffering. So the suffering that you see written in there, that's speaking about the cross. Uh, we also know that the cross is known as the cross of shame in other places in the Bible. Verse 11 then tells us that through his suffering on that cross of shame, we are actually made Holy. So, get this. Jesus, the Holy One, then he sets us up to be holy, and it says that Jesus is now not even ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you his own brother and his own sister because you're made holy just like he is holy. Now, that's actually pretty powerful. Are you ever ashamed of yourself? Are you ever ashamed of another Christian brother or sister? I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) wow. Hey, get this. Jesus isn't ashamed of you, and he's not ashamed of them. You see, if you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, it, it clearly says that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother and his sister. That's something to ponder. Jesus isn't ashamed of you. So why are you living in self-shame? Think about it. Now, Here's reality, because of what Adam and Eve did, what they introduced in this world, and sometimes I just say, like, Adam and Eve, why didn't you get it together? What is your problem? But if I was in the Garden of Eden, I probably would have done the same thing. All right, but, but whatever. But you know what? Because of what they introduced into this world, we all are going to struggle with shame until sin is removed and until, until we, we get into that new, new, new era in the future. And we're all wrestling to some degree with this. Um, it's, it's like an emotional fallout that happens from the things we do 
and possibly even the things we did a long time ago because we don't really understand the grace and the love of God. See, if you've, if you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you are redeemed. Now, here's how it works. Like, in our spirit, we know we're redeemed, we know we're set free, and we know we're loved by God. But the problem is, is that in our minds and our emotions, we're like, we're like a prisoner. We're held captive to shame. Even when Jesus Christ himself says that I myself am not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you my brother or my sister. Look at that. Hebrews 2.11. It says, the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. We are the same family as him. God is not ashamed of you. So again, why are you living in self-shame? A lot of you today, you walked in here, whether you even realized or not, and you were carrying some shame. Uh, something you did. Something you said. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough. Last week, we talked about Imago Dei, which is the image of God, where God says you are enough. But then shame, on the other side, it never says you're enough. It never does. See, I believe that shame is the number one issue. It's the root issue that the enemy brings against us. If you want to be a better person, what we tend to do in our culture is we tend to put a lot of focus on things like dealing with our inferiorities or dealing with guilt or or dealing with condemnation issues or dealing with insecurities. But the truth is all that stuff is rooted in shame. What you're dealing with with all of those four issues are they're, they're just like branches of the same big tree called shame. And if we don't allow God to put the axe to the root of shame, then we're never actually going to rise to be what God has called us to be and we're, we certainly won't have the faith to do so. See, God really wants to shatter your shame because he has great plans for you. I I have to be honest. I struggle with it. I shared that with you last Sunday. Why do I struggle with it? It's because I'm human, and sometimes I forget that that God has set me free from that. Because shame just keeps telling me, and it keeps telling you that you're not enough. It's these words. It's these words, shame on you, shame on you. And it'll always pull you down. It'll always get you down. I mean, shame will undermine your confidence, and shame will tell you, who do you think you are? (laughs) Several years ago, I was in a situation where uh, a person became very, very outspokenly, if that is a word, angry at me. Uh, because what I did is I brought it to the surface personally, one-on-one, that uh, it was an injustice that they were perpetuating. And they took it to other people and kept taking it. And then, and then right in front of a bunch of other people, this person just, just shouts at me. And it's not a person from here, so don't worry. Don't try to figure it out. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't him or him or her, okay? But, but this person began to like verbally attack me, and they were trying to intimidate me. And they were attempting to, I recognize it, they were attempting to shame me because out of their mouth came these words who do you think you are god it was kind of funny though because that was one of those moments you know where god gives you the words to say i don't know i guess it just came from all the years that i've been in church but in a moment i just responded with these words i said it's not who i think i am it's who i know i am i said i'm not god i chuckled i said no i am honored to be a child of the most high god i am created in the image of god and i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus they they turned around and walked out (laughs) 
I, and it's like, I don't know where that came from, but I'm kind of glad it came up because I just all of a sudden realized those words weren't going to bring me shame. Shame was trying to beat me down and seize me up. See, shame is there to literally undermine your faith so that you won't step out and do great exploits for God. A few moments ago, we prayed, and I encourage you to, to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, which is to be shamelessly audacious, shamelessly audacious in your prayers. But we can only get to that place of faith when we actually begin to deal with our shame issues. That's why it says shameless <laughs> audaciousness. See, shame makes us say, well, I'm bad. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. In our minds, we begin dwelling on what we did that was harmful, or maybe it was something that was sinful. And like what I shared last week, what you did is not who you are. Your identity cannot be an identity of shame. Or what happens if your identity becomes one of shame, your faith is going to die, you're going to shrivel up, and you're going to feel worthless and beat down. Because shame is going to say, how can God love you? I mean, how can you really expect to make Jesus known when you acted like the devil yesterday? (laughs) Yeah. He says, how can you be blessed? You've ruined your life. Do you really think God will use you and take care of you now? I mean, come on. That's what shame says. Shame says, I am bad, instead of saying, I did something bad. Shame will say, I am like sin, where really it is, I sinned. You see, shame makes us feel like we're just not even inherently worthy of love. That's ultimately what it does. It's about rejection. It makes us feel like we're not worthy of the love of our family, are really the worthy of, we're not even worthy of the love of anyone. So what we do is we react. And that's, that's, I believe that's exactly how Adam and Eve felt. But, but we've learned to react to shame because we live in this uh, performance-based culture. And our culture is so extremely performance-based that, that, that shame actually makes this harder on us. See, we're constantly feeling this need to outperform not just someone else, but we feel this need to outperform ourselves. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> but that even has its roots in shame. Because shame says, well, I've got to do it all. Shame says, I've got to do it perfect. Shame says, I've got to, to get out there and, and dare not even sweat or be perceived as being weak. See, that is a performance-minded uh, uh, approach to life, and it is spurred on by shame, and that's one of those things that I've said since the beginning of City Life, that is not our church, and that will never be our church. See, actually, back from the very first year when we were coming together, and, and just a few of us coming together in this church, when we adopted this little saying to begin to combat that performance-minded uh, attitude, that mindset, and, and that little line was this, it's not what you do, but who you are. It's not what you do, but who you are. Your value is in this church. We just said it from the beginning. Your value in this church is not based upon what you do. It's just who you are. So you got to know who you are. Like I said earlier, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So who are you? If you understand that, you can just stop presenting this image that you have it all together because it's a lie. Big revelation here. You don't have it all together. Now, I don't have it all together. None of us do. Will you begin to dismantle that lie in your mind? Because we're so often trapped in this. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a web of these 
uh, conflicting, competing expectations that we have in our lives of, of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And all that does just continue to feed shame in our lives. But another thing shame does is shame actually flourishes in silence and in secrecy. That's why if someone, this is important, if someone has earned the right in your life to hear your story, you need to tell it. Shame loses its power when you share. But if you keep your real life in silence and you keep it in secrecy, shame is going to grow and it's going to flourish more and more all the time. Shame makes you feel like you can never change. Shame makes you feel like you can never get better. Shame actually leads to even destructive and harmful behaviors when we continue to operate this way in darkness. Shame is related, uh, psychologists tell us that shame is related to violence, aggression, eating disorders, depression, and bullying. That's pretty bad, right? And, and, and the truth is, here's the deal. When you meet someone who is critical, and judgmental, you can be sure of this. Their life is riddled with unresolved shame. They're the ones that want to call you out. They're the ones who want to broadcast to others that they have a concern about you, but they never talk to you. (laughs) You see, shame always hides behind a judgmental and a critical spirit. What does shame do? Shame actually makes you shame others. I've said it a million times, you can only give what you have, right? If I have shame, I give shame. I begin to see my life through the filter of shame, and so I see others through the filter of shame also, just like Adam and Eve. No wonder shame is so horribly destructive. So how are we going to deal with it? Well, it's like what I've said the last couple weeks. We have to learn to love ourselves as God loves us. We get our focus back on Jesus because Jesus is not ashamed of you. And when you begin to do that, it will lift your spirits. Like Psalm 34, it tells us this. It says, those those who look to him are radiant. (laughs) Their faces are never covered with shame. See, because shame is, what it is, it's, it's about feeling bad about things we did. And then shame makes us feel like we have to do then more things so we can get love and acceptance from other people. Like more activity. More hours at the office, more good deeds, give more gifts. We act like a martyr, and then we find ourselves critical of others around us who are not acting like a martyr just like us. Why do we push so hard to perform? There's this cultural streets axiom that fits right into all of this, and it's this. Stop trying to prove your worthiness by doing Simply let your light shine. Let your face be radiant. And that's because you're looking to Jesus. It's not what you do. It is who you are. I want this church. I I have a passion for this church to be a shame-shattering church. I'm telling you guys, it must be our culture. And if not, what happens is we digress into this culture of negativity, criticism, hate, Arrogance and anger and performance and positioning, ingratitude and phoniness. And I just, I thought of that stuff. I'm like, God, help us. Not on my watch, not in my church. And I want you to say the same thing. But only as we really learn to just begin to love ourselves the way God loves us. And then we love others the way we love ourselves. Then we can begin to dismantle this. I'd say one of the best things that we can do is learn to love each other through something that we call empathy. It's actually the empathy of God that he gives to us, and then we manifest it in our lives toward other people. Empathy is what God does to us. 
so we give it away. Um, empathy actually causes us to have deeper connections with people at very deep levels. Uh, I found this cute little video clip that kind of illustrates how we can just simply express empathy to other people. See, when we get that empathy from God, then we can express it to other people. This shows how to do it and how not to do it, and it's kind of cute. It's just a real cute little cartoon. Take a look at this. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Yeah, that's, that's cute, and it's kind of real, isn't it? Um, empathy is simply part of that agape that I was teaching you about last Sunday. You see, the way this works is, it's, is, is if we're going to shatter shame, it's not just us looking at Jesus, which is part of it, but it's also us relating to other people around us. We've got to start talking about our pain and our weaknesses with safe people. That's why the Bible even says that confession is critical. Do you know the Bible tells us that you are to confess your sins to one another? Why? So that you can be healed. (laughs) Healing in our emotions, healing in our minds happens when we Talk about our flaws, our sin, and our shortcomings. And then, and when others share those same things with us, we empathize. <laughs> and we hear them out. 
We don't pick up stones and we throw them. We love. You see, in atmospheres where there's no real talking and confession, we tend to believe that everyone has it all together. And this even causes us to hide more and to put up a bigger front. And again, that will never be a part of this church. That's why telling your testimony is so important also. Because when you tell your testimony, you're also telling your story. See, shame wants even your testimony to be hidden. Shame wants, uh, uh, makes you feel like, well, if I own my story and if I tell my story and if I share my testimony, then someone's going to think less of me because they're going to see this other part of my life. See, shame is about fear. Adam and Eve had so much shame that they became, the Bible says, they became afraid. We're afraid that people won't like us if they know the truth. If they know the truth that we're flawed, they'll know who we really are. People will know where we actually came from. People will know what we're struggling with. People will know, uh, even, even to an opposite extreme, if people find out how wonderful we are when we're soaring high, that, that could be a bad thing. So we don't even share our victories. Quite often people don't even share miracles that God has performed in their lives because of shame. What will someone think? When we do share our stories and when we do talk about our ups and our downs and our sins and our failures, the forgiveness and the restoration and the grace of God in our lives, and when that is met with empathy, I'm telling you guys, shame is dissolved. It is shattered. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It's, it's true that uh, God-inspired empathy is the antidote for shame, but Empathy is one of those things that shatters shame. And Jesus has empathy toward us because he was one of us. He walked around in human skin. He gets it. Okay, this is really liberating. Look at this, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. It says, for this reason, he had to be made, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in most ways. Is that right? No, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus was not made human in most ways. He was made human in every way, every way, in order that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of his people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he's able to help those who are being tempted. Now, flip over to Hebrews 4.14 real quick here. See, Jesus, Jesus knows how shame feels. He gets this. He knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like to be put down. He gets it. Take a look now. Hebrews 4.14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, profess. For if, for we do not have a high priest, priest who is unable to what? To empathize. He empathizes with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus identifies with that feeling that he had within himself. Jesus experienced humility and brokenness, weakness, and he empathizes with us. He gives us empathy. As a result, we can be bold and we don't have to run and hide from God. We can actually come boldly to Jesus, which is that throne of grace. Mercy, we receive it for him. See, shame manifests itself uh, really in three different ways. And I want you to look in your own heart. I'm asking you to examine your heart and your life today. 
Shame manifests itself by hiding, people-pleasing, and by pushing. Which of those might be in your life, which is the result of unresolved shame? First of all, there's, there's hiding. Shame causes us to react by hiding. That's what Adam and Eve did. Uh, some, some of us move away, or we isolate ourselves. We break relationships. We run to another church. We run to another job, and we abandon even our relational network. We hide. It's a result of shame. Shame needs to be shattered. A second response, reaction that we have is we react by people-pleasing. All we try to do is try to appease people and please other people to get acceptance and approval. But that is a result of shame, and shame needs to be shattered. The third way shame manifests itself in our lives is by pushing. That's what Adam and Eve did to each other. We try to gain power over others and control others. We dissect other people's failures. We become even aggressive. We use shame by maybe even sending like really mean emails or passive-aggressive social posts, text messages, and the like. What do you become when you're backed into that corner of shame? Now I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 because it's time for us to shatter shame in this room today. You see, shattering shame starts with Jesus and with the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Could it be that when we do this, when we come boldly, when we begin to, to, to fix our eyes on Jesus and off of ourselves and off of others and see really what he's given us, receive what he has given us, could it be that that's the time when we can become the sons and the daughters of glory that he talked about earlier in this message today? I believe that's God's desire. I want you to come to the throne of grace. I want you to see shame shattered in Jesus' name. I want, I want you to release yourself from feeling like you've got to hold it all together, you've got to have it all together, and you've got to make it all happen. Just stop trying to be God. <laughs> That's his job. Learn just to bask in the freedom, the knowledge that you're loved, that you're forgiven, and that you're free, and that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his own brother and his own sister. And that is a promise from God for anyone who presses into the love of God and learns to express then that same love toward other people. I love it. This promise is seen for us in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. Here it is. Look at this. It says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. That's what God wants for you, and it's time to shatter that shame. Shame has, has a hold on your heart in one way or another. If you identify with some of the things I shared today, I just want you to begin to open your heart to Jesus. Will you just close your eyes all across this room? I want you just to look into the face of Christ right now. Those who look to him are made radiant. That light begins to glow on your face. If you've already requested Jesus Christ to come into your life, 
rescue you and forgive your sins. You are forgiven. It's time to let go of the shame. Stop being beat down. It's time to shamelessly be bold and audacious in your prayers and to move forward on the scene in your life to give empathy to others, to tell your story, to be open and honest, and let that shame out. Don't let it control your life any longer. It's held you back and held you down too long. Today's the day you need to start breaking out of this stuff. Lord Jesus, I pray over this room right now. I pray for every person who's here. I pray that shame will be shattered in the name of Jesus, that it will be decimated, that it will be pulverized, that it will not control us any longer. God, we're not going to be reacting by, by running and hiding ourselves because we have shame. We're not going to try to be people pleasers anymore. God, we're not going to be reacting and pushing people and, 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 and being ugly toward other people because of the own shame in our lives. God, forgive us of that junk. Lord, we we want to move forward in our lives so we allow you to shatter that shame in our lives, God. God, we also choose that we're going to show, show love and genuine empathy toward other people. We're going to listen to their stories. We're not going to judge. We're not going to be critical. And we're going to love people for who they are, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God, that's our choice, and that's the way we choose to live. In Jesus' name, with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, Maybe you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Possibly you've drifted from your relationship with God and, and you want that relationship with Jesus. You want your sins forgiven. You want to be holy before God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond simply by lifting your hand, knowing this is that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine, and he died for you so that you can have life and life to the full. And today, today, today is your opportunity to step into new life. It's time to live. If you want to be included in my closing prayer, make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. When I count to three, I want you to lift your hand so I can connect my faith with yours. Would you do that? One, two, three. Lift your hand for me. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you so much. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. If you lifted your hand, I want you, but I want everyone else in this room to stand with me right now. Come on, I want you guys to stand to your feet. I want you guys to pray these words with me. Everyone in this room, pray these words with me. If you lifted your hand, pray these words with me as well. Come on. Dear Jesus, come on, let's pray it out. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. It's time for me to live. I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for giving me power over shame. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.